This is a Suno India production. You are listening to Climate Emergency. Every country agrees that we need to fight climate change, but no one agrees who is going to pay for it. Historically, most developed countries grew unsustainably, mainly by mining for coal for their development. In the process, they have released great amounts of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere, which causes climate change. Scientists have predicted that increasing CO2 increases temperature, and if the temperature of the Earth goes beyond 1.5 degrees centigrade, it will lead to irreversible damage. A UN report called Emissions Gap Report that came in just last week says that we have to cut down global emissions by 7.6% every year for the next decade to prevent irreversible damage to climate change. A long-standing discussion in global climate change negotiations is a demand for equitable distribution of carbon space. What it means is that we assume that only a certain amount of carbon dioxide is released into the atmosphere to limit temperature raised by 1.5 degrees and as that space in the atmosphere is a common property and every individual has a right to it, it has to be shared equally. There are many theories that carbon space should be divided equally among countries based on population, based on their historical use, based on development, etc. Hi, this is Rakesh here, your host for Climate Emergency. To discuss this concept and more, we talk to Arjuna Sridhi, a research analyst specializing in climate change policy, natural resource management and sustainable development. He works with Watershed Organizing Trust, Water, an NGO based in Pune and has over 10 years of experience across India and South Asia, working at interface of science, policy and practice of development issues. Arjuna follows international climate change negotiations closely and writes extensively on the subject of adaptation. He is also author of a book and a TEDx speaker. Hi Arjuna, thanks for joining us on the Climate Emergency Podcast. I hope uh, you had a chance to read the report that came out yesterday. Yes, I uh, saw the report and the fact that uh, global emissions and CO2 in the atmosphere is at its uh, highest levels uh, ever. So it is reaching uh, scary limits and definitely a sign um, and an indicator of the climate emergency that everybody is talking about. So it is a wake up call for sure. You know, there is very little debate about climate change in India or other developed countries. Um, I think it's a proper, probably a matter of uh, perspective also, you know. Uh, like, for example, in India, we have more than uh, 300 million people living below the poverty line. And what that looks like is uh, not necessarily having a toilet in the house, education being limited to just about... Uh, uh, able to read, drinking water being more than 15 minutes away, medical treatment being available for like serious illness or pregnancy only. So these are like immediate concerns affecting people today and tomorrow and how their lives would pan out for the rest of the year. 
and um, climate change is certainly a disaster and certainly an emergency i would not deny that but it's also a, a disaster sort of a slow onset disaster that is creeping up on us and it will no doubt have like huge impacts and erode any development gains we make during the next 15 20 years if we don't take proactive actions but um, it's because of these immediate concerns and immediate like challenges to lives and livelihoods um, of the millions of people below poverty line in places like india and other developing countries that i think climate change at times doesn't get the kind of attention it needs to uh, but that is fine from a general public point of view uh, but i hope that the policy makers and the leaders uh, you know the kind of people you expect to have longer term vision uh, they should be the ones to definitely start taking cognizance of the climate change impacts and uh, talk more about it and bring it more into the public domain so uh, i mean how come like these developing countries uh, have used so much of fossil fuels in such a short span and uh, do you think developing countries will do the same for development well in a way uh, development um, until now historically uh, any form of development whether it's been uh, better housing transportation um access to goods and services food choices uh, etc has been directly linked to uh, emissions increase of co2 co2 emissions and as you can uh, if you look at the statistics uh, these have nearly doubled since 1980 for example um but there is a lot of improvements in terms of efficiency which is happening in the last 20 years or 50 years for instance if you take the amount of lighting that you need for a room uh, typically about 1000 lumens of light is required for a room and say 50 years ago a kerosene lamp required like 7000 watts of energy to light up this room and when i was a kid i remember we used to have these incandescent bulbs in the house which were 100 watt bulbs so it came down drastically from 7000 to a fraction of that and today we have led lights uh, in our homes and offices in public places which provide the an equivalent amount of light for like 16 watts or 18 watts so it's 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 further come down so uh, and there's there's also so much in terms of uh, alternate sources of energy becoming uh, viable um, coal uh, petroleum oil and gas was traditionally the only form of energy available and now solar and wind is becoming viable as you know that uh, alternate sources of energy has also become viable solar and wind are becoming cheaper um, these have already become less expensive than producing energy from oil and gas and in the next 10 15 years they are expected to become even cheaper than coal so there is also so much happening in terms of improving efficiency of power generation uh there's also huge advances in terms of i think material and labor productivity so my short answer is no the developing countries will not necessarily follow the same path um as the developed countries which used a lot of energy in the last 50 years or 100 years um but provided they have access to the latest technologies we are talking about and financial support uh, technological support to adopt these latest technologies 
because the benefits of these is for everyone involved it's for the greater good of the whole world and limiting climate change for the whole earth and so the uh, burden or the additional costs involved in adopting these technologies should not be uh, on only uh, the poor involved who are on, who are in these path of uh, developing and it should be borne by everyone especially the ones who are say in better off positions in terms of finance and technology in the report i saw yesterday one thing that was interesting was uh, that you know there is an increase i mean india talks a lot about per capita emissions and uh, you see that there is a steady increase in per capita emissions that has uh, that is clearly visible now uh, i mean uh, i mean because of uh, use of gas and stuff like that em- per capita emissions of us has come down but of india has increased uh, not at a, i mean relatively it is very minor but that's an interesting thing to notice uh, what do you have anything to say about that uh yes i mean uh, historically we know that um, the, in terms of uh, cumulative emissions just um, three regions in the world uh, us uh, the european union including britain for now and uh, china have um, accounted for over 50% of the uh, global co2 emissions and um, all the other 190 180 plus countries account for the rest and the including the fast the so called fast growing economies like india and other countries in southeast asia um, account for a, a very small percentage of this but these were historical emissions and if you look at current emissions so yes uh, india's emissions uh, have been rising and if you look at the total population of india our current emissions do stand third in terms of uh, net emissions and um, also if you look at the lifestyles of urban centers uh, like delhi bangalore hyderabad um, the lifestyles is uh, very similar to uh developed countries in terms of having air conditioning private transport the kind of food choices we make with more meat in our diets and dairy products and alcohol so yes um per capita emissions are rising driven by our industrial growth and the urban uh, centers but if you still look at the overall per capita emission statistics i mean even though the us or canada may have come down they still at i don't know 16 to 18 tons per capita europe and china being around 6 to 7 tons per capita and india is around 2 so we are like one third or one fourth of where china is right now and one eighth of where the us is right now and often in these international debates it happens that india gets clubbed with china uh, in the growing economy discussions and this is where india could lose out if it is not careful in how it positions itself because even what these current per capita emissions show is that um, indian emissions are way way below where china is today uh, maybe we are 20 years behind china in terms of our development indices um so yes uh, like i spoke about the leaders of our country and the, uh, the political visionaries uh, needing to take cognizance of climate change it would be prudent on our part to make responsible choices and adopt a low carbon development pathway but in terms of overall emissions and per capita emissions i think 
India is still um, way below the global average, and um, on an on an average, there is it's probably not a concern, but it is important for us to keep in mind that we continue to make responsible choices. Uh, since you brought the uh, point of uh, negotiations, global negotiations, uh, you know what is uh, why do developing countries keep talking about uh, you know distribution of carbon space, uh, equitable distribution of carbon space, and what is this space and what are they asking for when they say we want an equitable distribution of carbon space? Right. So. Um, as I uh, in the in the global negotiations, I mean, in 2015, uh, as many of uh, the listeners here would also be aware of, the uh, UN Framework Convention on Climate Change uh, was a universal came came together to get a universal agreement on limiting global warming signed by all countries, and the objective of this was to limit global warming to less than two degrees centigrade and preferably 1.5 degrees. So this global warming uh, is driven by greenhouse gases of which CO2 is a very large uh, component of it. Now, there are lots of calculations by different agencies. um, And to simplify the numbers, uh, roughly uh, there is a certain amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, uh, which can uh, which would lead to this 1.5 or 2 degrees of warming and of this total about 700 to 1000 gigatons uh, of co2 um, is still uh, there is space for emitting 700 to 1000 gigatons of co2 into the atmosphere and currently we are emitting about 40 gigatons of co2 per annum so divide 800 by 40 that means we have about 20 years uh, of emissions that we can continue at current rates before we hit degrees of global warming and if we were to increase ambition to say 1.5 degrees which is a desired scenario we have only 500 gigatons of co2 roughly and that means barely 12 years of uh, emissions at the current rate so if we say that there is very little carbon dioxide that we can uh, continue to emit before global warming becomes uncontrollable then uh, there is a lot of growth that we spoke about uh, that amongst the millions of people living below poverty line in India, other parts of Africa, South America and Asia uh, that is expected to happen. And these uh, development, a uh, lot of this development are fundamental rights and needs of people to assure basic necessities of food, um, health and well-being. So what the developing countries are saying is please make sure that these people get a priority over the remaining carbon dioxide that can be emitted. So these basic development uh, needs of people are prioritized when you have only 12 years of carbon dioxide emissions that can continue and not the lifestyle related emissions like more air conditioning, bigger cars, fast fashion, processed food, leading to food wastage, etc. Those are like eating up the carbon space, which can be prioritized for primary health, primary education and lifestyle. Um, so this is, the, this is the crux of the debate happening at the international negotiations. This is the kind of fights that uh, developing countries uh, through their negotiation blocks 
of African nations and other developing nations have with the so-called developed um, countries uh, to push them to reduce their emissions so that priority can be given to these millions uh, to ensure their basic necessities. So, uh, when we, you know, firstly, when we talk about equity, I always have this feeling that we are talking about communism, <laughs> equal distribution, <laughs> equal distribution for everyone, uh, which I, I mean, I'm, I'm okay with the concept, but I doubt if, you know, countries like US or capitalist countries, uh, even China for that matter is capitalist now, um, if these countries would agree to is one of the biggest, biggest concerns. And even, uh, you know, when, when we look at the other way, uh, even countries like India or any other developing country, there is a lot of inequalities within the country itself. I mean, we are seeing the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer in these countries. So it becomes, you know, um, an issue when uh, a developed country talks about equity to a global audience because within the country, they don't have equity, but you're talking about uh, equity uh, to an external audience. Uh, so shouldn't you know equity be spread to the bottom of the pyramid what do you think about it no, yes definitely what you are pointing out rakesh is a very important um, aspect for us to understand and uh, there is such a large divide um, within india itself uh, we briefly touched upon the lifestyles of bangalore hyderabad uh, delhi versus say rural parts of the country uh, like I myself, um, just uh, out of curiosity, used a simple carbon calculator a few months back and tried to do like my own personal carbon budget. And uh, what I found was if I drive to work in my car versus if I used public transport or my bicycle, uh, the so keeping everything else constant, the way my house, my food, um, the travel related to work that I do, which also involves some amount of some amount of you know, flying time, uh, everything remaining constant, just making that one change of uh, private car versus a public transport or uh, an eco-friendly source like, say, bicycling, reduces my emissions by, by, by half of what it is, from four tons to two tons uh, in a year. So uh, this is the kind of uh, difference that, you know, even small changes in urban centers um, can make. And uh, there is so much more. I mean, this was just one example uh, to show where a difference of 50% uh, change can happen with just one change. Uh, there's also so much more in terms of like um, uh, building uh, construction materials and uh, household related emissions that can take place. So what happens in a lot of uh, international discussions is people see this part of India, which is projected from its growth in the IT sector, the electronic sector, the uh, development taking place in places like Bangalore and Mumbai, and say that India is no longer uh, a poor developing uh, country. Uh, it's leading uh, industrial, uh, uh, a leader in many industries across the world. Uh, so unless you, there is a lot that you can do to take climate action at your own um, end, which is true. And, and therefore, the change must start from here. And there is a lot which can happen with more awareness campaigns. And I do see a lot of encouraging signs from civil society initiatives um, across the country, uh, which are bringing in uh, to bring, uh, highlighting these kind of lifestyle choices and the difference it can make. 
and unless we do this i think it would be morally very difficult to get into these kind of debates and and yes like you rightly mentioned uh, at some level they do seem uh, a bit of a moral judgment or a communism versus capitalism kind of debate uh, at the international level so uh, there has to be some amount of uh, initiative shown by us when we are making these kind of uh, claims um, or demands from other developing countries that we are also taking responsible action but it's also very important to understand that um, these changes that we make within the country uh, amongst the 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 10% of rich population or the super rich population within the country would still make a very small difference to global emissions uh, unless there is commensurate emissions reduction and ambition and finance and technology transfer coming from the large emitters across the countries uh, so it's important to take initiative and therefore show that you know the change is starting from home uh, but then uh, the that doesn't allow you to relax uh, when it comes to the negotiations like uh, what is going to start in the next week in uh, spain at the next climate Uh, summit where india will continue to bring up these issues of historical responsibility and equity uh, and uh, climate justice is equity even an argument anymore with people like trump taking you know the biggest emitter us out of the paris agreement uh, is there even an argument that we are that is going to happen in this negotiations as we go forward <laughs> uh, well um, i think as much as um, the rest of the world is sometimes uh, aghast uh, by the decisions uh, of the us president uh, he is a little bit uh, of an exception and um, not necessarily reflects the general sentiment in the rest of the us uh, at least that's what i hope uh, so yeah, uh, yeah he has his own personal uh opinions about climate change and uh, the stand that the us has taken is uh, very unfortunate because it uh, pulls down uh, brings down the level of ambition that the rest of the world including many uh, proactive european countries um, and many other small island nations are trying to show uh, but i think uh, him being an exception and him having uh, an equal number of uh people uh putting pressure on him within the us and outside the us um it won't necessarily dictate the way the the globe the, the rest of the globe uh, deals with climate change at least i hope uh, uh, it's not held to ransom by one person um and it this will be corrected uh, within a few years time and especially in future cycles of uh, climate change negotiations and there are many progressive civil society movements within the us some of the best research institutes uh, on climate change are based out of washington and other places in the us and these would continue to do the incredible work that they are doing and put the necessary pressure on the us government to be more proactive um, in their stand on climate change and therefore bring uh, issues like equity Uh, back on the table within that country uh, even when we talk you know from a developing country perspective uh, there usually I, i feel india mainly also is in a dichotomy 
where you know you are at one side uh, highly vulnerable at the other end you are again uh, one of the currently at least uh, one of the high emitting countries uh, so how how can development be sustainable when you have you know two opposite sides of things that you have to address right um, so i think that this is a very uh, interesting question and one that we have to uh, like pay close uh, pay, uh, pay close attention to uh because um, if you analyze um, emissions from a lifestyle point of view and i uh, came across a paper recently which discussed this um, and it said that um, nearly 3/4 of the emissions can be attributed to what we consume uh, in our homes and these could be across uh, sources like nutrition housing mobility consumer goods uh, leisure and other services and like to highlight a uh, case in point here the paper was analyzing the difference between the carbon footprint of uh, food consumption between a typical european country like finland and india and it showed that um, uh, that finland's carbon footprint is 1750 kgs of co2 per person per year compared to india's 510 now of course the fins are say a foot taller than us are 10 to 15 kilos heavier but that doesn't necessarily account for why the carbon footprint of their food consumption should be three and a half times that of ours unless there was a lot going on you know in terms of the kind of food uh, processed foods uh, amounts of meat consumption uh, food wastage involved um, things like that and even when it came to mobility uh, what this was showing is that um, making responsible choices like uh, shifting to uh, car sharing electrical vehicles uh, and uh, public public transport can make a significant difference and it doesn't necessarily have to even be a 100% change so like for somebody making um take making a resolution that from next year i'm going to use only public transport can be can probably be an ex- a difficult decision to make because you obviously have a lot of work commitments and other obligations but even a 15% or 30% adoption rate of these kind of choices whenever it's possible can bring down your emissions uh, significantly and uh, you know it's in it's in statistics like this that uh, you realize that um, yes there is a dichotomy of uh, where uh, india is today in terms of its total emissions uh, and how the economy is rising and the disparity in lifestyles between the rich and the poor within the country also but there is also a huge uh, potential for changes that we can make uh, the choices that you and i make in terms of our food clothing transportation uh, reusing recycling uh, can ensure that you know we use lesser natural resources and which can lead to a low carbon lifestyle and also keep climate change within manageable limits so at the end it all comes down to individual action uh, only with individual action we can you know also empower our politicians to talk about it and hopefully change the system Yes yes definitely i think there is a lot uh, that is in our hands um, and the choices that we make uh, will make a huge difference uh, to kind of uh, redefine the 
trajectory that India takes. And uh, yes, the choices that we make, we have a lot of power in our hands to ensure that um, climate change stays within these manageable limits and India remains um, an example for sustainable development um, and an example possibly for the rest of the world to follow. Thank you for listening to this episode of Climate Emergency. If you like this episode and would like to support the work that we are doing, please contribute generously at sunoindia.in slash support. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, Castbox, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. Or you can go to our website sunoindia.in.